0: Hello and a very warm welcome to the Professional Practice Podcasts. with me, Austin Williams, Senior Lecturer at the Department of Architecture at Kingston School of Art and Course Leader in the Part 3 Postgraduate Diploma in the Professional Practice in Architecture course. This podcast is the flip side of a recent one. In that one, we asked Part 3 examiners to provide a few clues as to what they were looking for in a good Part 3 viva, the final interview. And this time we're asking recent successful candidates to reflect on the process from the other side of the fence. We'll hear contributions from a number of Kingston students, but also from Leeds and Lincoln. They are Anghara Jones, James Chandler, Sam Splater brooks Emily Horn, David Sweels, Emmanuel Gaskin, Faye Benson, Daniel Postel and Denitsa Dimitrova. The questions that they were asked were, what did you wish you'd revised? What was the hardest part of the interview? What would you do differently if you had your chance over again? Or what advice would you give to a prospective part-free candidate? And what do you think the Viva is for? Obviously, these are reflections from past experience, and there should be no suggestions that the issues talked about will arise in your Viva. These are simply meant as helpful hints, hopefully to make you think, and possibly to calm you down a little. Here we go.
1: My name's Sam slater Brooks, and I work at MAA Architects and I have done since completing my part three at Kingston University.
2: And my name's James Chandler, I studied at Kingston all the way through my part one to my part three um, and I'm now working in practice at & Associates in Esha.
3: Hi I'm Harrod Jones, I also studied at Kingston for my part one, two and three and I currently work in Chapman Taylor in Paddington.
0: So First question, what do you think you should have been taught or what do you think you should have revised for your viva?
3: I
1: wish, I think I wish I'd done more um, revision in procurement routes and the different types of contracts you can get um obviously in practice you usually have quite limited experience you kind of your practice is a b&b practice you might do some traditional work but if your practice has a kind of particular type of work so unless it's a big outfit you don't really get much first-hand experience okay james you maybe you yeah, take, take it away i think
2: i would have looked at trying to have a, a basic understanding across the board of how contracts work um and how you run a job properly because i think once you have a kind of good base of knowledge across that board then when things get a bit more complicated you know it makes it a lot easier for you to answer questions on the spot quickly especially in your viva so i think that's probably the most you know i ask a lot of people at work try and get involved in the job running a little bit i think that's very important i think it depends on what (laughs) What your practice does. So, for example, um I work for a residential practice. So, our contracts are a lot to do with kind of we use a lot of JCT intermediate contracts, for example. So, you know, use your strengths and what what you know, and and show that understanding that way. And I think asking a lot of questions to the people you work with is very, very key to getting that understanding.
3: and it's quite difficult, actually. This question because it's really easy to go back and say, you know, oh, I wish I'd revised this. I think. In terms of, like, the actual viva, maybe this is a different question, but I I think what I'd have said to myself about the viva is, like, just be confident and try not to get too nervous. Because I feel like as soon as you get too nervous and overthink everything, everything goes out the window, whereas actually you really know your subject, you know your case study, you know everything to do with what you've submitted. And actually to go back and look through all of the um, questions that you did and pick holes in it and ask your peers and colleagues what you would have said differently having if you'd have submitted it again so then in the Viber if anything comes up you know where you went wrong so because they did ask me a question how would you answer this differently? And luckily I just kind of spotted it.
2: Adding on to that, what I did actually, which was quite a good little technique, is that all the all the things that I wanted to remember that I was finding difficult to remember, I recorded myself saying them on a on my phone and I would just play it back like songs. And, and what, you
0: played this at night when you slept? Everywhere I went, Austin. I just had your- sounds
1: sounds <laughs> awful listening.
0: <laughs> I, I, don't I like must to... have been torture. The second album's always the hardest though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think that, again, this isn't really a question uh, that I got asked directly, but I think it's worth looking at your own kind of experience and your own uh, assessments and stuff and and working out what flaws you've got in them and kind of addressing those before you get to the Viva.
0: What was the hardest part of the Viva, do you think? It's nerves.
2: It's just you build this interview as the be-all and end-all and it's kind of the final countdown. You kind of walk in as as a wrap of nerves, but actually... I think the more relaxed you are, the more confident you are and just knowing what you know is, is, the, is the key because it is just a conversation. Mm. And I think that people need to, you know, when you go into that, just remember that it is a conversation.
3: A professional uh, conversation.
2: Yeah. If you didn't know a question, where would you look for the answer? It doesn't, matter. it doesn't matter if you don't know it straight off the bat.
3: But I think if you're prepared and you know your case study well, you know all of your answers, your pitfalls, things like that, and you've read around your subject, then it'll just come to you.
1: The, the hardest part, and I actually don't think this bit would have been a failed kind of question, but they started asking me what I wanted to do or where I wanted to, to be in the next kind of, what if I had a two-year plan or a five-year plan, which is something I literally didn't think anything about. All I was thinking about was get the part three out the way, become an architect, and then, and then what happens? Um, so it was, it was, uh, yeah, a little bit interesting to get put on the spot, and I had to be honest, and I said I hadn't really thought too much beyond the next, uh, the next year.
3: The two hardest questions I think I had about um, Brexit and Grenfell. I guess they two throw these things in as curveballs just to see how you react and how you diplomatically handle the situation or answer. So I think definitely be prepared on any topical issues that have arisen that year, particularly now, you know, coronavirus, I'm sure that'll be brought up.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, read the papers, that's the answer. So in terms of what would you do differently if you had your chance again, what would you
1: do? Don't start any serious relationships or make any fun plans for the year. Be prepared. I went into the year with probably less PEDRs than I I should have had. You can start revising earlier. You can just, just, yeah, knuckle down.
3: Same thing for me, really. I think get the PDRs done before you even start the course is just a weight lifted because um, particularly at Kingston, the course, you know, it's quite heavily um, coursework based, which is great because you're learning on the go and I find that type of learning um, particularly works for me because you're learning in practice. So um, things sort of, sunk in and stayed in which is you know quite hard with exams because you're cramming a lot but um i think getting the bones of your volume started early like storyboarding out what you're going to do and um how you're going to sort of present it or even lay it out having a um content page would really help
0: okay so what advice would you give a part three student work hard good It speaks to the voice of reason. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) work hard and have a beer at the end of the week, and then start all over again. So, Sam, so what do you think the vibe is for? To check you're professionally competent to
1: uh, be an architect. You do all this coursework um, and even exams at some other places that you know you can revise for and you can study for. But having like a candid conversation with someone who's just trying to kind of get a feel that you know what you're talking about and that you're not going to get yourself into trouble. I think is the main thing.
2: Once you qualify, you have a lot of conversations with clients and contractors and um, consultants, et cetera, et cetera, where you do need to come up with answers on the spot, not necessarily actions, but answers. And I think that the Viva is a good way of understanding that and also for the professional institution to know that um, you're going to handle that yourself correctly in that situation. So I think that it is very important and you do have many Vivas every
4: day.
5: Okay, my name is Emily Horn. I work at Purcell in the York office, and I studied my part three at Leeds Beckett University. To be honest, I wish I'd looked more in depth to the current issues um, affecting architecture in the profession. I mean, it's, it's a very wide subject, and a lot of things came up in the exam paper, such as sustainability, Brexit, the housing crisis, Grenfell, and I wish I'd had a better awareness of some of these subjects, and read around them a bit more. I wish, in hindsight, that I'd read more RIBA journal, architects journal, just just kept my knowledge more up to date. I, I don't think my knowledge was as up to date as it could have and should have been going into the exam, and I think that slightly caught me out. Things like relevant publications that concerned the issues at the time, such as the Hackett report. Um, I wish that I'd actually, I'd heard of the Hackett report and I had a vague idea of what it was about, but I wish I'd studied it more in depth so that I could, I was able to quickly and more efficiently pick out bits of the report that I could use in answers in the quest, in the exam. And I just don't think up until that point I'd appreciated how the, basically the importance of the relationship between architectural practice and the construction industry and, you know, how the profession sits in a much wider context is probably something that I underestimated and I wish I'd had more knowledge about it and prepared more.
0: In terms of the VIVA itself, what did you find was the, the hardest part?
5: Definitely the hardest part for me was the office-based exam. I was 30, well, I sat the exam at the end of 2018. I was 32. And the only exams I'd done prior to that, you know, were 16 years ago at school. And it was, it, it was a stressful experience. So what would I do differently? I would definitely have a dry run of the exam, the office-based exam. I had some past papers and the university, I think the university supplied some past papers and I had colleagues, work colleagues that had past papers as well. And I would have set aside a day for myself and just done a dry run of it to sort of get myself into the swing of, ha- of having that set time to answer those questions.
0: And then, so what advice would you give?
5: I would say don't underestimate helpful and useful the PEDRs can actually be. Um, I know a lot of people knock the PEDRs and they are very dry and they're, they're not a joy to do and I'm sure most tutors would d- agree that they're probably not a joy to read but I find that they provide you with a really good opportunity to demonstrate your knowledge and really analyse the tasks that you've carried out during a particular period and state how that's enhanced your knowledge and development and I found it really useful to use the professional criteria, the Reba Part 3 professional criteria, as a sort of checklist to refer back to in the PEDRs. So, for example, the last page of the PEDR, um, the reflective experience summary, I would use the professional criteria as headings to then reflect back on what I thought I'd learned that related to each of those criteria. It was just a really good way of trying to demonstrate how I'd met the criteria and what parts I, I thought I was missing, what parts I hadn't covered. I think if you, if you really put the effort into them and, and don't just view it as a tick-box exercise, I think if you try and use them as a tool for, for learning, they can be quite useful, actually.
0: What do you think the Viber is for?
5: Well, I think it's for us as individuals to demonstrate that we have the relevant knowledge and competence and integrity to use the title architect. Because we have to remember that it's you know it's a protected title in the UK for a reason. It tells people that you've got a certain ability. Um, it tells clients that you you know you're competent. You've got abilities and a certain skill set. So I think it's I think it's for that as well. But I also think that well for me personally, doing part one and part two really doesn't prepare you for the workplace. <laughs> I don't think it gives you it gives you design skills. Yes, and it you know it does train you somewhat to become an architect but when you actually get into practice and you know the, d- the day-to-day tasks that you do as an architect I don't think resemble much to what you actually do in part one and part two so I think it's just really important to have that the education you know to have part three and go through part three.
4: My name is David Seals I work at Neighbour Architects uh, in Nottingham I studied at Leeds University.
0: So what did you wish that
4: you'd revised? I suppose it's a million dollar question really isn't it? Um, I mean having done it myself um, there's certainly specific questions that I could have done better on in the exam um, and hopefully if I was to do it again I I would have been able to answer better. However if I was to genuinely start this whole process again or to any prospective students what I would say is the bits I'd revise are There are always elements in your case study or your written examinations that you just wasn't that confident about. It's weird, it's got such a big spectrum of of work and there'll be some areas that you just feel great about, some work stages you've worked um, a hell of a lot in and you just feel really confident about and I'm sure you can write for days and days about. And there'll be others that you've had to really research to put in your case study or put in your, your exam. And I would say that your examiners will flag up those areas of uncertainty, even if you think you've covered it. I'm, I'm pretty sure they they've read enough now to know areas that you might not necessarily be that competent at. So in that case, what I'd say necessarily is look, go speak to a mentor or speak to a colleague and just ask them to read that extract the bit that you're not great about and ask them to ask you a few questions about it that environment you can then create hopefully you can hear an answer so when it is asked in your exam or your oral exam hopefully you'll be a lot more prepared than i was certainly another thing i'd say to revise uh, just a bit of a tip really if look at current architectural affairs going on look at just general affairs that might affect the construction industry because if you can create a discussion because that's that's what it is really Is it says it's an interview but it, it's, it's a discussion. If you can relate your work, relate your issues to something that's going on in the wider community, something that the examiners may even have a vested interest in, it's just going to promote that discussion. It's going to show that you've got some architectural noggin about you, that you can relate all your work to something that's going on and it's not as binary as you just answering directly questions that relate to your project. Let's try and open it out. Honestly, I'd say the hardest part was the anticipation of it all. Uh, once you're in, you're in and you just got to do it. I mean, hopefully you're as prepped as you possibly could have been, it's like it's your work, you, you've written it. You, you might not feel like you've got all the knowledge of it, but you do because you've written it. So it's in your brain somewhere. So I think it's just to go in and relax and sort of take pride in your work. I think another one was being strong in your convictions when answering questions. I had a few questions where, they asked me to justify an answer that I'd given and it might not necessarily have been the wrong answer, but what it was, there were multiple avenues I could have gone down and they I had to give a reason as to why I went down this this one avenue. So it wasn't wrong, but they just wanted to know why I'd chosen that. And then I suppose on the flip side to that, it's just that knowing that you might have gone down one avenue, but looking back on it, best practice would have been to go down another one. You were still writing contractually doing it one way, but... Best practice wise, it's probably best to go down another way. And I suppose it's just accepting that and maybe not being as defensive as I maybe was.
0: What advice would you give to a prospective part three candidates? The
4: main one I'd be was to take your time. That is the honestly the key, the biggest key that I would have. When you asked a question, take a deep breath, have a sip of water and Think about a well-balanced and thoughtful answer. Your examiners would have been through so many of these that they'll know if you're blabbering. They'll know if you're fishing for an answer or they'll know if you're going down the wrong the wrong way. So take a step back and just have a think about what they're asking you. I don't know if it's the same in every institution, but we're allowed our, our work with us. So again, just take a step back and have a look at your work. It's there for a reason. Hopefully you've na- got enough sticky notes on it to navigate through nice and quickly but there's no there's no shame in just having a few seconds to think about what you're going to say another one which i was told and was was good was don't be afraid to say that you don't know but caveat it by finding saying this is where how i'd find out so i i had a question in my exam that was relating to a contract clause and i said look top of my head i don't know what clause this is however what i would do is i'd go to the contract and i'd find it in this location and straight away you could see they ticked that and was like happy days no problem. And it went on to the next question. So there's again, no shame in that. And then finally, um, another piece of advice I would say is just to speak freely. Um, It's a conversation. You're an adult. You've been through the rigmarole of part one and part two. You've been the definition of a student. You're now professional. You work in a professional environment and you deserve to be there. So certainly take pride in your work um, and take pride in your knowledge because it's got you that far and the likelihood is it's going to get you over the line.
0: What do you think a viva is for? Well, I think
4: it's simply to establish if you're a competent and engaging individual that can represent the the profession of architecture. If you would start practice tomorrow, would you sink or swim? And I suppose that's not not as if you've got 100 clients with millions of pounds of revenue. This is about if you've got one client, would you be able to deliver the services of an architect um, competently? Your written work might be absolutely outstanding, but this is to determine whether you can, as an individual, can think on your feet and again can represent the role and finally what I would say is it's not a chance to catch you out the oral exam it's a it's an opportunity and you should look at it in that way it's an opportunity for you to fill in any gaps that you think you may have left out in any of your um, submissions thus far it's a real opportunity to show that you are a competent individual and you may have missed some bits out in the previous work but this shows you this is your final chance to be like look I am good enough to be an architect. If you can take the stress away, which I know is a very easy thing to say and just deliver it as a conversation, it's a really productive exercise and certainly something I look back on with positive memories as opposed to stressful memories, so.
0: Looking, looking back with fondness to the survivor, to the yeah. uh, that was almost a case study in how to
6: do a <laughs> My name is Emmanuel Gaskin and I work at ETA and Partners and I studied my part three at Kingston. I wish I'd revised an expression, and the expression was critical path, as um, it came up in my viva, and it was dealt with in my volumes, but I'd never used that expression. I think that's what threw me on the day. As I was sat there, I started to explain what I thought was critical path, and everyone feels they know what critical path is, you know, that sequence of things that's supposed to happen within a project, you know. But when you're sat there under stress, suddenly it doesn't feel like you know what you're talking about, which is a bit of a worry. And it's like, when do you start? When do you stop? So I'd wish I'd revised that more, to be honest, so that I felt a bit more confident in, you know, or maybe just being more adaptable to hearing something, taking that pause and then moving forward.
0: So the next question is, what was the hardest part of the viva?
6: Right, my viva was um, on September the 11th. So as everyone knows, that is quite a notorious date. Um, in terms of um, world history. Um, and I think the reason why that was a part of the hardest part of my life was I was so stressed um, for me going into the room with two professionals and I also had the assessor there. Um, it suddenly felt like all my dreams and hard work could dashed away in an interview. And that's terrifying for like um i'm a forty two year old man and it's still terrifying that you know your dreams could be dashed very quickly also it's a part that as part of that mindset, I was sort of worried about not being good enough to be part of an, the establishment or what felt like what could be a select gentleman's profession so part of what was my my issue of the hardest part of my vibe was the psychology that I needed to beat before even getting to the first question and i don 't know how many people will face that. But it's try to beat that. Um, don't let certain things weigh on your mind before you go in. Else um, it will help harm you a little bit, you know, harm your confidence and just your clarity.
0: What advice would you give to somebody new your part three?
6: For me, not fixate on finding a case study. And that's what I did for the majority of my career. It sort of made me focus on the idea of building a building. And I sort of felt that was, becomes a bit myopic in regards to your overall professional obligations. You know, you sort of have a balance that you can apply to that process and you sort of owe it to your client, you know, the contractor and also the contract and the relationships to have that overall step back and have balance. So if I could do anything over again, I think I'd sort of like understand the place of a case study in my overall professional perspective on what I was doing in architecture.
0: So what do you think the Viva is for? What's the purpose of it?
6: Uh, right. I'd say it's understanding your professional accountability and also it's for network of a profession. Now, I'll explain that in terms of we're going to be judged once you're qualified. And, and from that moment when you're there, you pretty much have to believe that now is the time for you to be an architect. So you're sitting with other professionals being able to talk through an issue a problem and that's something that you'll probably take into your career later on when you're set with other professionals um and also the support network because what i found was that sometimes when i'm sat in the office or sat with um like it's a study group guys you're talking to people who are doing the same thing every day you're learning from each other you're reflecting and i feel that that's the thing that the also like, bizarrely shows you that you're part of a professional network and that helps you know that's that's moving forward um right. in the great scheme of things so that's what I found the vibes for.
0: Very good. That's very good. Uh, and let me ask you one additional one to surprise <laughs> you with it. What do you think about PEDRs and the PEDR process?
6: Right. I think they're brilliant actually. Um and going back to sort of like what would you do differently? Um I'd have done my PDRs more regularly because it allows you to assess your progress and weakness and reflect on it and just how to improve. And um, I feel, had I had that as part of my process a bit earlier on, the nice thing is it's like they, they're there for um, like a check, you know, they check you at certain pro- certain times in your career and you can actually go, well, let's let's improve or let's talk to people, you know, let's use that, that professional network, as I'm saying, to, to help you um, reflect and move forward. Meet a few like-minded people and start a study group. That's like the most useful thing to do. And it makes you reflect on what you know, what you don't know and how you're going to convey convey this and it will make you address any of your deficits so um, I'd say that's the thing you know just really embrace um, your part three it's going to be one of the best things that you do it's going to be one of the hardest things that you do but one of the best things that you do.
7: My name's Fair Benson I did my part one part two and part three at the University of Lincoln and I currently work at John Roberts Architects also in Lincoln. I wish I'd known a bit more about the different procurement groups available and done a bit more revision on the different contracts available um i think when you're working at a particular practice they kind of favor a certain type of contract or they specialize in a certain type of work so you're not really exposed to all the different types of procurement the different contracts and everything out there and because it's such an integral part of a project it kind of goes all the way back to how a project's going to be set up the team that's going to run the project what the client's objectives are so for me it would have been lovely to known more about that before my part three
0: what was the hardest part of the vibe
7: keeping calm in general and you put an awful lot of pressure on yourself and I think it's just staying calm and then examiners are willing you to pass they really are and you can see it when you're in there and you need to treat it as a conversation almost if you can chair site meetings you can do your interview just Trust in the fact should be basically doing the job at this point anyway. But trusting the knowledge, and if you're not too sure, take a second, think it through, and you should be spot on, reading, I think. Or that's at least my experience of it. Once I'd handed everything in, I kind I went through every single document I'd handed in and put a sticky tab next to any question I didn't think I'd answered properly or any area which I thought could possibly come up in my interview and then re them questions with all my documents and resources and everything there and went through it, wrote it on key cards and the morning, the night before I didn't do any revision. and the morning before I went really early to a coffee shop and read through all these key cards and actually the examiners asked me every single question that was on those key cards wow. and that was really, I was really grateful to have spent the time before that just going over all those bits and bobs. And yeah, I know when people tell you to stay calm, but it doesn't really help. (laughs) Talking to the students that are waiting, don't sit there in your shell. Talk to them, see what their experience of it is, and you might actually be helping someone else calm down as well. Uh, If I could do anything differently, I'd revise a hell of a lot more. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a last minute person, because I'm not, but there were some things I'd left later than I should have. Um, and I think when it comes to your exams, you need a revision timetable. You need to set it at the beginning and you need to stick to that. Uh, and if it's coursework, I'd say at the very beginning, once you know what you need to include in each piece of coursework, get your framework to go through it, almost write your contents page and get your documents all in a row. So you've kind of got a skeleton and it'll write itself. Um, so just revision is key prepare as much as you can and make sure you're referring to -to up-to-date documents because I think when we were doing it, REBA had just brought out all their new um, standard forms of agreement and we're updating umpteen different documents so just make sure you're referencing and revising the right information.
0: What do you think the viva is for?
7: Yeah, this is a tricky one. When I was reading, when I was thinking how would I answer this, it is a tricky one. I mean, the role of an architect is quite a political one and they don't tell you this in part one um, because that's such an important part of the role of an architect is to be able to articulate your knowledge and actually advise properly. So I think that's what it's for.
8: My name's Daniel Postel. I work at Bowman Riley, sort of multidisciplinary practice, and I studied at the University of Lincoln. I'd always been under the impression that the final interview was going to be very much focused on contract administration and very little else. I was quite surprised in my interview that I actually was asked a number of quite technical questions about regulations. So I, th- I think not sort of channeling too much of your energy and focus onto contract administration, especially, I suppose, at the minute, uh, fire safety and things like that will be a big topic and all the regulations around PII. So what was the hardest part of the VIVA? You do have to sort of put things on hold for a while, but you've just got to um, approach it as the sort of interesting challenge that it is and not see it as too much of a task. What I'd do was say, okay, this evening I'm going to try to put it into context of a real world example that you've worked on. I think or one of your colleagues has makes it less of an
0: individual chore. What advice would you give to a Part 3 candidate?
8: I think probably uh, to be nosy. Um, So... I think that when I started um, on the part three, I just sort of tried to insularly focus on just revising out the textbooks and, um, you, you know, working through one thing after the other. But um, I realised quite quickly that if you speak to your colleagues and take an interest in other projects that you might not necessarily be in, involved in, and as soon as you sort of see those sort of things being undertaken,
0: it clicks in your mind. What do you think the Viva is for?
8: well it's obviously to assert competence uh, as a professional but i also think it's, it's a bit of a prompt in your professional development or it certainly was for me to uh, make sure that you've covered every aspect there is of being an architect and um what the job entails and there are certain things that without those prompts you might not think as are, are as important as they possibly are through your professional career and just it, make sure that you've ticked those boxes for understanding what you should and um shouldn't be able to do. Okay, uh,
0: let me ask you one final one. What do you think about the PEDR process?
8: So that that is an interesting one. I originally found it to be a bit of a chore and I couldn't when I very very first started at my part one um, I couldn't really understand what the benefits would be it felt like a bit of an obligation every three months I've got to squeeze these in and then actually by the time I'd sort of progressed in my career and perhaps maturity as towards getting qualified I realized no these are actually a very good way of reflecting on what you've learned uh, what you hope to learn, identify key areas that you want to develop into or you, you think need a little bit more work. So it's surprising, especially when I went back for my um, interview, there are a number of just smaller jobs that you forget that you've been involved in across the years. Um, but But certainly the self-reflection and really critically examining what you are and aren't good at. I think that you can either take it to be a chore that you have to get on with, or you can use it as an opportunity to develop yourself as a professional. And I think that that's actually quite a positive thing.
9: My name is Denisa Dimitrova. I'm working with my partner uh, in, his, uh, in his construction company uh, called Ideal Quality Limited. And I've studied my part one and part two in Plymouth University and I did my part three in Kingston University. I wish I'd revised more the experience mapping against the REBA work stages. I mostly concentrated my revision for the Viva on volume one and volume two, but I wish I could speak more fluently about which projects I was working on throughout my part one, part two and part three experiences. For me, the hardest part of the Viva was the preparation of the potential questions that the examiners might ask on the actual VIVA. I thoroughly read all the volumes and wrote a lot of post-it notes on where I thought that there might be a potential question. This really helped me prepare and feel confident of what exactly was written in Volume 1 and Volume 2.
0: And did those questions come
9: up? Yes, actually a lot of them came up. I, I wrote a lot of like where there is a contract, I wrote maybe a question about contract and explained with my post-it note about the contract. And I was, when I was uh, going through the volumes, then I could like focus my attention on these specific things.
0: So what would you do differently?
9: I would prepare a different experience mapping against the Rebo work stages because the one I did was oversimplified. My intention of the experience mapping that I did was to show my involvement over the various work stages. However, what they wanted to see is the full range of the experience.
0: So do you mean that you didn't show off enough?
9: Um, yes, exactly. I, I oversimplified it. I, um, I just wanted to show a few projects that I did throughout the different work stages. But uh, what they wanted to see is It's all the projects, so I think I will redo it and show it.
0: Um, And what what advice would you give to somebody taking the part three?
9: For me, it was very helpful to do the mock vivas with my part three colleagues. The more mock vivas I did, the more confident I felt. My part three colleagues would ask me questions on my volumes that I would never thought about when preparing for the Viva. Also in the Viva it's important to be confident but not overly confident, showing that um, after you fully qualify as an architect you would still develop further knowledge and skills in your career. Therefore uh, don't be afraid to say I don't know if you don't know the answer of a specific question because I think honesty is all you need in Viva.
0: Do you think you can be too um, honest? How do you, how do you balance Telling them enough, but not making yourself sound naive.
9: I think if you if you know, in general, the uh, overall topic of what they're asking, if it's like, for example, of a contract, you might say, this contract is about this. But if they ask you, which I don't think they would ask you for a specific clause, but you could say, I could find this answer in this contract. Uh, you don't need to be really specific because they know that you wouldn't know everything by heart, even when you fully qualify, because you still have, information online it's important for them to know where you that you know where to find information
0: and what do you think the viva itself what do you think it's for
9: um (laughs) i think the viva is for the examiners to assess if you're ready to become a fully qualified architect based on your volumes and your experience however what they mostly want to see is if you can be trusted to be called an architect i think trustworthy is the one that is honest that um doesn't make up an answer, just to make up the answer. If, if uh, an architect doesn't know an answer, then they, they would say, I'll come back to you on this one. So it's even in reality, uh, nobody expects you to know everything. So I think that's, that's really important.
0: Last question is, did you know that you passed?
9: I cannot know for sure, but uh, I really like the experience overall in the Viva and uh, before getting in, Uh, I was excited and then I went in and it was more like a conversation with them. I was asking them questions. They were asking me questions. And then I I went out and I was pretty happy that uh, I passed this experience. But, you know, you, you can never know for sure, but I felt that I passed.
0: Okay, that's it. Those, I hope, were some very useful insights. Their pain is hopefully your gain or at least, you know, they've revealed... A few tips, I think, that you can use in preparing for your Viva. As I say, nothing mentioned by these students implies that these types of issues or exact issues will arise in your Viva as each one is unique to the candidates. But stay calm, be professional, consider the interviewers as allies looking for a competent conversation rather than adversaries trying to trip you up and you should do okay. Enjoy it. And if you don't pass this time, it's not the end of the world. Come back even more determined and show them how it's done. Until the next time, check out an archive of useful podcasts and good luck.